So Justin, the senior leader of Destiny Church Melbourne, um, under self-control, wrote himself a 3 out of 10. And maybe it was a little bit low. You probably always score yourself a little bit low, but even five, probably I shouldn't be a pastor. But um, any, anyway, so um, I've gone a little bit below. You'd probably want a pastor to be around seven or eight, but anyway. Um, peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and, and uh, all that sort of stuff's higher. Peace and kindness were about nine, which is always good. But self-control was something that, yeah, I just sort of wrote blah, 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 because it's hard to articulate at times. So anyway, so that wasn't the reason I went on this journey. It was more for health and sustainability. So like when I'm 80, I'm still doing really well, bringing the kingdom and living out this amazing life that we're called to, because who said 90, we give up. So we just want to keep going because longevity is important and health's important and our body's important. So I really wanted to go after it because I was eating rubbish. I wasn't looking after myself. And it's a miracle. It's been the worst 28 days of my life. But um, it's actually really good. And I've dropped about 4 kgs, guys. So um, I know you wouldn't probably notice. But um, actually, Tash said to me last week, um, gee, you look great. No, she didn't say that. She said, she said, you look skinny. And I'm like, I've always been skinny, but I was probably about eight and a half, nine over of what I normally am because I'm just eating junk. And now I've just been eating great food, which isn't great. It's just good for you. So, um, so I just want to encourage you guys. One of the themes for our year has been consistency. So let's just stake um, laughs aside. Consistency is a big deal. Because if, again, it's obvious, but let's just appropriate that to our life and the things that we want to go after. And it's not just negative. When we think about things to go after, it's not just, oh, I'm no good at this and I want to get there. No, no. What are your dreams? What are the dreams in your heart that you want to see? Why were you put on the earth? Really important question. Why, why are you getting out of bed? So when we discover that, Adhering to the same principles over and over is consistency, which, which step after step cause a momentum. So we've been talking about consistency brings momentum. The goal is momentum, where it's unstoppable. So our church goal is momentum. We're not there yet. Will I say we're nowhere near there? Maybe. But we're in consistency. Doesn't mean there's not bursts of fruit and vision playing out every day. Because Jenny led someone to the Lord in Destiny Care. And Kira led someone to the Lord at Parkmore last week. And Katie and Aaron are stepping out a lot and it's freaking them out, but they're doing it. And, and Tash is praying for people on a field trip with Bailey House. And so, so there's a lot of good stuff. Nancy's just praying for people and getting healed in Destiny Care. Like you're encouraging people. The vision is playing out. It's happening in bursts. So it's not necessarily momentum and it's all happening and thousands are coming in and thousands are being touched. But as we're adhering to the same principles, the same truths, the same vision, core beliefs, the things that mean a lot to us and to him, as we're seeing them play out, adhering to them step by step, inconsistency, things are starting to happen. And I want to challenge you and encourage you with consistency. If I ate one good meal over the last 28 days, nothing changes. So I want to encourage you in that church. Because why are we doing all this? So I just want to ask that question again. I spoke about love a few weeks ago. And um, yeah, I mean, even I was encouraged by the message because that whole last part was, came when I was watching the footy on Saturday night um, about Mephibosheth and David and that connection. And, 
Psalm 103 and Psalm 23 and that connection with that and Mephibosheth and Jonathan and the connection and David being an active lover of people and self-sacrificing love. And, and I've been asking that question, like, why are we bothering? Why are we bothering coming to church when we could be sipping lattes with the sun glistening through the plane trees on South Bank today? Like, why, why, do, we, why do we bother? Why do we come? Because that's really enjoyable. Bless you. So why, why? Why do we do it? Like, why do we do it? Why do we sponsor Compassion Kids? Why do we make effort with the mayor to, to, to bring life to the community? What, why do we do it? It's really important to ask these questions. Like, why do we try and raise $80,000 a year to go into missions overseas that are, that are rescuing kids? Like, what's the reason? What, why do you get out of bed in the morning? What's the purpose of your life? Why do you love people? Why do you encourage them? Why do you treat them? Why do you pray for them? Why do you prophesy? Why do you want to see your friends come to encounter Jesus? And I want to, I want to just look uh, this morning at the early church. We're not going to talk for a lot of time. But like what caused them to come alive? What caused them to, to be beaten and persecuted and shipwrecked and go through it, but still prevail and still encourage and still bring life to people? What was it? And I want us to look at Romans chapter 5. Again, we looked at it last week, and we're just going to look at the why of our life. Is that okay? Jesus. This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. I'm going to read that again. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. That's the reason. Like God, the God of the universe, has supernaturally filled your heart with his love. <laughs> like incredible. I believe it's in 1 John somewhere that it says how great, how great the love that the Father's lavished on us. Paul's saying, hey guys, can you realize how much you're dearly loved and that the Holy Spirit has filled your heart with love? That's an amazing uh, checkpoint to go, oh, wow, that's why I live different now. That's why I feel different now. That's why I act different now. Because one point, I actually didn't care much about people because I was selfish and just worried about myself. But there was a day that came when I encountered Jesus and everything changed, and the love that, that He carries and is, which isn't I love that color love, or I like that child jumper love, but it's this supernatural next level upgraded love, which means active and self-sacrificing. And that's the love that actually entered into your heart, which is immaterial, yet you know it's there because it affects you. That's why Paul said, we won't put these next scriptures on. I'm just going to go off a bit, Jen. But, um, but that's why we get these scriptures like um, two 
Corinthians 5.14, in the NIV, it says, the love of Christ compels us. So we've got the first thing that it's deposited and put into our heart never to leave. We know Romans 8, uh, Romans 8, 38, it talks about that nothing separates us from his love. Why? Because it's in us and he's in us and it's this divine, incredible union with Christ. So that doesn't change. There's no separation. It's you and him forever. Your spirit has been made one with him. So his love is in your heart. Wild. And then he says, hey guys, I want to explain to you why everything's changed. A, the love's in your heart, but now that love's compelling you. Like that's affecting you. The reason why you care to another level than maybe you've cared in the past is because now it's compelling you. NASB goes another level and another, quite a few translations go to this next level and it says the love of Christ controls us. And we think of control is we're just being led and we've got no will and da, da, da. But it's another spin on it. It's, it's to the point where you, you're left with no other options. But to act different, to think different, and to live it out differently. The love of Christ controls us. And then he goes on to another thing, another thought, another truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. And I love the New Living Translation where he goes, okay, love of God is in your heart. And here's some evidence and reasons because it's now compelling you. Now, guys, I want, I want this love to be your highest goal. So can you see a theme here? So he's going, guys, all right, this is such a big deal. Let love be your highest goal. And then he goes, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, comma, especially that you prophesy. Make love your highest goal. Then he continues on this thought. We've got love in your heart. We've got this love compelling and controlling you because it's affected you so much. And then we've got Paul saying, let love be your highest goal. And then in Philippians, he goes, all right, guys, I pray that your love would abound more and more in understanding and knowledge and depth of insight. Can you see the progression? Love in us. Love's compelling and controlling us. Love is now our highest goal. It's the benchmark. It's the aim. It, it, it It is the bullseye that we're going for. And then he goes, okay, that's good having those three, but... This active self-sacrificing love that's going on, I want you to abound in it and I want you to grow in it. The word abound means greater levels of excess. Now we talk about excess as excess. Like, oh, there's excess. Jesus didn't mind that there was leftovers with the fish and the loaves. Doesn't matter. He didn't care. He didn't just, he's a God of excess. Can you get this this morning? He's a God of excess. So the dreams that you have for your own life, he's okay to kick a few more doors down and and blow out that dream and desire even more because he's a God of excess. And 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 the love that he put in you, he wants that to grow in greater levels of excess. How good's that? And there's so many different ways to which this love is expressed. We express ourselves in different ways. Just have a look at what you're wearing today. We each thought that what we put on today looked good. Didn't we? 
You thought that denim jacket looked great, Jill, didn't you? (laughs) I thought that this jumper looked good. Well, aren't you a pastor? Yes, I am a pastor who likes wearing T-shirts and jumpers. But we express ourselves in lots of different ways. It's evident by the hobbies that you have, the colours that you like, the songs that you sing. Expressions uh, Expressions of love are no different. There's lots of different expressions to love. And we talk about them a lot, the outward expressions of love. And there's one that I want to hit today for the last 10 or 15 minutes that we have together today. And it comes out of our core belief booklet. And I love that love is our highest goal, is one of our core beliefs. And we've defined the core belief with quite a few scriptures, but we've also written out how it's actually going to play out in the life of our church. So from our core belief booklet, this is what we're going to be talking about for the remaining few minutes today. We are constantly thinking about ways to bless and encourage people. I'll say it again. We are constantly thinking about ways to bless and encourage people. The word encourage is used, encouragement, encouraging, encourage, uh, used in the, in the New Testament 105 times. From memory, the word grace is used about 119 times. So encouragement's a really big deal. The word encourage means to call to one side, to call upon, to call to, and to seek out. That's part one. Part two is to address and to speak. So encouragement is impossible without speaking. Interesting. And then point three is comfort, strength, and exhortation. So it's to call one, so it's to pursue, and to call someone to your side. And then it's to address and to speak words of life that build up, encourage, and exhort. That's encouragement in the Greek translation. And of course, we're going to look at Acts, as you know why, because there was a man that was called an encourager. But I want to open the story up a little more of probably what we've heard before. So Jen, can we go to Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to 37? And we're going to look at the Passion Translation this morning. This is Paul, this is not Paul, this is Luke writing. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to 37. This is the story of the first church, of all the amazing things that happened after Jesus was resurrected. For example, there was a Levite from Cyprus named Joseph who sold his farmland and placed the proceeds at the apostles' feet. They nicknamed him Barnabas, which means encourager. So good. Some translations say the son of encouragement, but I just like encourager. Son of encouragement is a bit weird. That's okay. That's what it means. But I like the word encourager. You know, my sister's business card, Nat Box, it says something, something, and then encourager. I reckon that's cool. Who's got that on a business card? Barnabas probably would have. (laughs) Barnabas probably would have. So names were a big deal back in the day because we get that Jesus changed Simon's name. To Peter, 
to explain a shift that happened in Peter's life. Abraham to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, like that's a, a big deal. They mean a lot, names, regions and names mean a lot, they explain a lot. So this wasn't just a flippant thing that the apostles nicknamed Joseph Barnabas. I'm not sure which name's better. <laughs> Bless all the Josephs here today. In this case, he wasn't just given a name and they hoped that he would then respond according to what that name meant. So we're going to give you the name encourager because we really need some encouragement in this weird, manipulative, agenda-driven name changing. But rather they saw who the person was and nicknamed him according because it's just who he was. So he was around them in that early day, and because of the nickname, it's obvious that's what he did. He would call them, he would pursue them, he would call them aside, he would speak to them words of life and encouragement. And in that day, with the stripping, the beating, the jail time, the shipwrecks, the not eating, the persecution, guess what? Who needed some encouragement? So it's no coincidence that this guy was stirred by the Lord to, to go and get alongside the apostles and encourage them. And we're talking about today that we're constantly thinking of ways to bless and encourage people. Let's go to, this is so good, so good. Uh, we're going to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read through quite a few scriptures. I don't normally do this, do I? But we're going to do it today. Acts chapter 9, amazing, Jen. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 to 31, awesome. Okay, so the context is Saul has been murdering Christians like wild, like modern day ISIS. Like it says that when they were stoning Stephen, the first martyr in the first church, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that they the guys throwing, laid their clothes at the feet of Saul. So he's there approving the death of Stephen. Yes, yes, amazing. It was his mission to kill all the Christians. He was a terrorist. So we've got to get that in our thinking as well when we're reading the book of Acts and the transformation of Saul to Paul. Another name change, that he was a terrorist. So, so a lot of things have happened where we're going to pick up today, he had the scales on his eyes. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, there was training and encouragement that he went off and did. And he's starting to do some stuff for Jesus. And there was concern in the first church. Now let's pick this story up in Acts chapter 9, 26. Are you with me? When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. These guys are seeing signs, wonders, miracles. Incredible things, and they were still afraid. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Who would? He was a terrorist, and they murdered his friend, murdered their friend. That's, this is wild, guys. Then Barnabas, oh, here we go. Then Barnabas, say then Barnabas. Come on, then Barnabas. Brought him. Doesn't. I was going to tease in a big way because I thought it was Aaron. So I was, just, I was just gearing up to just get him to stand up and everyone laugh at him. 
Okay, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles. How's this? This is encouragement, isn't it? To pursue, to seek, to draw to one side. So Barnabas saw what was going on. And he went and he grabbed Saul and went to the apostles. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them on Saul's behalf that he'd, how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus, verse 28. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them. Wow, something shifted. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29, he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him um, down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown, 31. This is key. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. This is a significant moment in the life of Paul. I'll go to this far. He would not have written these letters in the Bible if it wasn't for Barnabas. Because what happens is, these guys are just living for the gospel and living for God. We've got a terrorist over here, not too many years away from when they started happening, killing the people that they're trying to bring the kingdom to. In fact, he even tried tried to kill more of them and he stoned Stephen, one of their friends. Can you see the conflict of the camp of Saul? Interesting. Camp of Saul, Old Testament, Camp of David, Camp of Saul here, and the Camp of Peter, who was the pastor of the early church. Can you see the conflict? So the terrifying nature of what was happening was, this guy's murdered our friend, we're afraid of him. And Barnabas brought peace in that environment because he saw something in Saul that they didn't see encourages see things in other people that no one sees and they don't just wait and watch and wonder but they pursue and pull close and say this is who you are and they don't just hold it to themselves but they can't stop talking and they go guys I get the fear but I've seen this guy and this is who he is he's a man of God and he's going to join us and what happened peace was released encouragement Holy Spirit jumped on board and said, oh my goodness, this guy Barnabas is going to start encouraging. Holy Spirit goes, well, I'm going to start bringing encouragement. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit brought encouragement and they grew in numbers. We've been talking a lot about peace this year, how we do the list of our lives with the list of his life, with peace being that central, critical undercurrent that has to be there. What if encouraging was another step? for this place to experience peace? What if us being an encourager was another step to seeing this city experiencing peace? Acts 8.8, before this verse, when they went out and they were doing signs, wonders and miracles and preaching the gospel and people becoming born again. The Bible says, and there was great joy in that city. What if it started with encouraging? Can you imagine what Paul's life would have been like if, if, if Barnabas didn't see who he really was? Maybe he went off and become a renegade because he, he was pretty fiery, he was pretty determined, he was a psycho. (laughs) 
Thank you, God. Acts 13. Acts 13, 1 to 3. So being an encourager releases peace in an environment and also for other people. We diffuse fear when we encourage because it releases peace, because people come alive. Acts 13, 1. So you remember Joseph from Cyprus, who they nicknamed Barnabas? Let's just have a look and see how his life starts to increase. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul, this is before the name change to Paul, who wrote 13 epistles in our amazing Bible. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So they fasted and prayed. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. I want to say this again. I want to say this because I haven't said it yet, so I won't say it again. I want to say this, that encouragement releases peace, but encouragement causes the encourager to come alive. When we become an encourager, it actually causes an upgrade and an increase in our lives, in everything about us, including ministry. He was just called Joseph from Cyprus, and now he's a prophet and a teacher. But he was also an encourager. And then what happened? Because of his encouraging of Saul, because of his encouraging of the early church when they needed it the most, he started to get upgrades in his life. And the key ingredient to the prophetic is encouraging. The three core values in 1 Corinthians 14 is strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So the three core values of the prophetic is the actual word which is tied into encouragement, which is just incredible. So he was always, the, the encouragement just flowed into the gift of the prophetic. And he began teaching and prophesying and encouraging and calling things out of people in that early church. And the upgrades and the promotion just continued. Where are you at in life with ministry, with serving, with church, with the dream in your heart for this church, for your family and the community? There's upgrades and promotions available. And I really believe that when we step into, not just sometimes, but actually it's a core value of who I am, I am an encourager. When we step into that way of thinking and that life, knowing that the active love, the self-sacrificing love of God is compelling us and changing us, and it's our highest goal. When that starts to happen, then we can start to say, you know what, I constantly look for ways to bless and encourage people and watch your life explode. Can we praise him? Being an encourager causes your gifts to come out. It causes others to see who you really are because you live a life of seeing others for who they truly are. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
He's so good. It encourages see things that no one else sees. Barnabas saw something in Saul that the others didn't. And it's my prayer that we become like this. Can the band come up? That'd be great. Thank you, God. Yeah, Jesus. Encourages cause others around them to see that person the same way. Being an encourager is contagious. Being an encourager rewrites people's story. It's really easy, especially in my role, is to be very task motivated. Like, what have we got to do? What are the things that we need to do? And we step into task. And, and something that I'm challenged with, I want to be a, a father to people first and a boss second. I want to be an encourager first and, hey, we need to do this second. And it's challenging when there's a strong vision and things need to be done. But I really want to encourage us this morning as a people, can we put our hand up to be an encourager? I'm going to do part two next week that will blow your mind. And I, I don't have time to go into it because it won't give it justice. We've got a whole second part of this. But I'll do the second part next week, which will be incredible. It'll be great. But this morning, where are you at with encouraging? Where are you at with pulling people to your side, whether it's by email, by text, by phone, or in person, at church, or at work. You know, encouraging isn't preaching the gospel. It reflects it. You know, encouraging isn't the prophetic. It's part of it. You know, encouraging isn't praying for the sick. Encouragement isn't telling your testimony. They're all super important and super on our list, and super a part of everything that we are. And we want to see momentum in all of those areas. But you know what? I feel like we need to just sit on encouragement. And I'm okay with you not prophesying for a season. It'll happen anyway. I'm okay with you not sharing the gospel for a season. It'll happen anyway. I'm happy with you not praying for the sick. It'll happen anyway, but I want to ring the bell, honk the horn, and shout aloud a season of us stepping into encouragement, where we actually begin to learn how to approach people that come into our world, whether it's for 10 minutes because they served us a coffee, or they gave us a stub at the cinema. They're in our world for a moment. It's easy to go, oh, wow. Thanks for the stub. I'm seeing Mission Impossible 17. And then you're like, wow. I constantly... I constantly look for ways to bless and encourage people. Hey, dude, 
I just want to encourage you, man. Like this can seem like a mundane job, but I just thank you for what you're doing. Because if you didn't do this, I couldn't see that movie. And I just want to see, I just want to say that you're seen. And off we go. You don't know if his mum's born again. You don't know that. You don't know what link in the chain that you are. There's going to be moments where you will feel to share strongly about Jesus. There's going to be moments where you're going to be shown things that nobody else knows about a person. You're going to observe limps and crutches and ailments. And you are going to respond to that. And they're going to encounter Jesus in all those ways. But we don't know the link in the chain that we're on. And I'm okay with that. I don't use that as an excuse to never share the gospel, to never prophesy and to never pray for the sick. But I factor that in to my listening ear and my loving people. So I want to encourage you that I would even go this far and say, if we can't actually learn how to communicate and approach people with the simplest of the, 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 the lady in the food court at Southland, hey, I just want to say, I appreciate what you do, and off you go. If we can't even learn that, we can't jump 20 steps to saying, have you heard about Jesus? <laughs> Can we sit down for a minute and I'll explain the cross? Now, we need to be able to do that. That's why Mike's heart burns for equipping churches to do it. But if we actually can't communicate and encourage, and we're not learning to encourage so we can get there, that's no good. But it's part of the process. So I want to encourage you guys. I want you to just one a week, someone you don't know, just be a just become aware as communion can be passed out. Just start to become aware of people. We use the word highlight a lot, where we feel like God highlights. So perhaps when God highlights someone, just ask Him. And if you don't feel like He's speaking, think about what He's like and what He might say to that person. We constantly look for ways to encourage and bless people. When you get your communion, I'd love you to stand to your feet.